Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the great opportunity we have to speak your word and to extract from your word the thoughts that you would have us to hear this morning. So pertinent to the time that we're living and apropos for the moment. So God, take us on a journey through your spirit and we can only accomplish through your Holy Spirit. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've entitled this Restoration. And uh, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10, the word says, see. That's a very important word. I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Let's look at each word. The word see means to look intently at something, to inspect it, to perceive it, not just to look over it haphazardly, but to consider and have a vision of what's going on. Pay attention and give attention to it, to gaze at it. Just like a, a doctor who is uh, examining a patient very intently, seeing and gazing upon that patient and trying to notice everything about that person's body. It says, see, Jeremiah is told to see. He says, I have this day, this day, this time, this period, when God was speaking to Jeremiah. But we can consider now Jeremiah speaking to us in this age that we're living. I have this day set thee over the nations. And the word set, Jeremiah is being given a tremendous responsibility to receive the word of God and to do certain things by God's spirit. And the word set means to attend to something, to muster, to think about it, to reckon with, visit it, appoint God is appointing him to look after and care for something. And this is a huge task that God has given the prophet. For you have to understand, people didn't really want the truth. But yet God was calling him to speak the truth to the people. He said, I have set thee over the nations. And if you notice in this verse, it says over the nations and over the kingdoms. And there's a distinction that we want to make. It says, over the nations means the people, a congregation in in a sense. And it means to rise up and to grow up. It means to be exalted in triumph. That's victory. To be lifted up and to be raised up and exalted. And it means uh, to uh, be exalted. But then when God spoke to Jeremiah and said, I have set thee over the nations... And then he said, and over the kingdoms. Now, here's the prophet of God that he's given position to. He's given power. He's being given authority. Not only over, the Bible says, the nations, but over the kingdoms. And look what it means, the phrase, and over the kingdoms. It means to be 
or become a king or a queen to reign, to counsel, to advise, and to rule. Now, I'm looking at this personally. I'm not Jeremiah, obviously. You're not Jeremiah. But God is saying to us, see, I have set this day you over the nations. That sounds incomprehensible. And over the kingdoms, that sounds even more ludicrous. To root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. God has given us an unction in the last day. God has given us what I believe to be the spoken word ministry. To do those things that a lot of people will not be willing to do in the last day. And some of those things that we, God is going to call upon us to do, we'll explore here in a few minutes. But what is God saying to Jeremiah? And what is God saying to us? God was speaking to Jeremiah to see which is a, a strong word and a, as defined above. To see. God wanted Jeremiah to see the day, this day, that he appointed him as a prophet for a specific purpose that would bring glory to the kingdom of God. God has appointed each one of us with a specific purpose in the last day to bring glory and honor to God. The next one. We as Christians and ministers of the gospel must see and believe that God has something specific to say to each and every one of us this day, this age, this season, and at this time in church history. If we don't allow God to speak to us, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit and the voice of God to speak into our spirit, we're going to wander in the wilderness. We can no longer say to God, I have enough. We can no longer say to God, my plate is full. We must seek his kingdom first. Because God is setting us and appointing us to look around. And there's a lot to root out. There's a, there's a, there's a lot to pull down. There, there's a lot to do spiritually with the weapons of our warfare to destroy the powers of God and the kingdom of darkness that's coming against our families. These are kingdoms. These are principalities. These are powers. These are rulers. These are spiritual wickedness in high places. But look what God has said to the prophet Jeremiah. I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. We have authority and we have power if we dare to allow God to use us. The next one, you are appointed of God. Do you see yourself chosen, ordained, the royal priesthood and the peculiar people that God has reserved for this day just like he reserved Jeremiah and the other prophets in their day? If you don't see yourself as special, if you don't see yourself as standing out in a crowd, if you don't see yourself walking into a room, having presence, having God's power, and not walking in a room like a puppy dog with your head down looking for the loose change on the floor. But walking with majesty. Walking with the power and the anointing and the unction of God. That people will realize that you have presence. And you have power. And you are the man. And you are the woman that has something to say when God moves upon you and anoints you to speak the word of God. He has set us to attend to his voice and to visit with us in such a way that he will look after and care for us just like any other person he chose in the word of God. 
God wants to speak to us. And we cannot be so busy that we blot out the voice of God during the day. God wants us to walk in two parallels. He wants you to walk in your physical, obviously, as you're alive. But he also wants you to walk in the spiritual. Being attentive to his voice. Being attentive to the wooings of the Holy Spirit. Being attentive to God pulling you and saying, look there, look there. What do you see there? Be an observer. We must be observers, praise God. In order for us to minister to other people, we must observe what the need is and then ask God as his voice speaks to us, what's the solution? What's the prescription? God is saying, I am appointing you to oversee my people and to do what is necessary through me to extract a remnant through the process of rooting out, pulling down, destroying and throwing down every false way that is contrary to God so that these people can be used by God to build and to plant a church that will not be defeated. God instructed Jeremiah to attend to this challenge very seriously that through the power of God, a people, a congregation, a remnant. And what is a remnant? Something left over, a remainder, a surviving and visible trace or vestige, evidence or sign of something that exists or appears no longer, a small surviving group of people, a part of a whole, hallelujah, that's been broken off, People who will rise up and be exalted in triumph and victory to proclaim the works and words of Christ. What's he saying? What is a remnant? It's a piece of the pie. It's a church within a church. It's a people within a people. And God is looking for this kind of a people. He's not looking for just nominal Christians. He's not just looking for people that go through the motions. He's not looking for people that say, well, I went to church on Sunday. What does that mean? We are disciples of Christ. And we must allow God to disciple us, praise God, in order for us to disciple other people. God was saying that this people will not be ordinary people, but an exalted kingship that will rule and reign with the counsel and wisdom of God. Here's what God says about you and me. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, And the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us stop right there and has made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5 and 10 says and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth do we really see ourselves as kings and priests or do we see ourselves as broken down vehicles on the side of the road that have no more power or majesty and so many of God's people do not see themselves in the light that God is speaking to us in the word of God When you start to think of yourself as a king or a priest before God, that's an awesome responsibility. That's an awesome position. That's an awesome place of authority. That God has put divinity in you. That God has put deity in you. 
that you can speak the spoken word of God and change the destiny and life of another human being. Man, that's power. I said that's power. That you can speak into the spirit of someone and change the course and destiny of their life. God wants us to see ourselves as he sees us through his son, Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, who will accept this? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has transferred us. He has taken us out. He has transported us from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God. It says in John 15 and 16, but you are a chosen generation. Praise God. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are the chosen and the ordained of God. Do we walk in that light? Do we speak with that authority? Do we speak with the know-how of God giving hope to those that come in our midst? You must see the difference in the intensity and the difference in the application of the word see. Let's look at this again. See, I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms as recorded in Jeremiah 1.1. There is a difference in the phrase set thee over the nations. The, which means to rise up, to grow up, to be exalted in triumph, to be lifted up, to be raised up. But there's one more level that God wants to bring us, okay? And that's what he was saying to Jeremiah. There's no limitation with God. And over the kingdoms, which means to be or become a king or a queen, to reign, to counsel, to advise, and to rule. Most Christians never even think that they can get to this place in Christ, let alone rule and reign as a king in the army of God. God is trying desperately to get his people to another level of inheritance and spiritual anointing. That is so important. God is trying to get his people to another level of inheritance and spiritual anointing. Listen, if, if someone left you in their will and they left you ten things, And you only picked up five. You're really cheating yourself. Because when someone writes their will, they write their will with intent and purpose. And they say, I designate this specifically. But if you show up and say, hey, I'm just going to take five things. You're not really living up to your level of inheritance and spiritual blessing that God wants to bestow upon you. That's not the person who deceased fault. No. It's not the fault of the estate. It's the individual's fault. Thinking, well, maybe I don't deserve that. Maybe I wasn't good enough. Or maybe the other person got a little bit more than me and maybe I should just give them to them. Who was it given to? It was given to a specific person. That specific person should claim their inheritance. This is what God is saying. You see, we think God doesn't want to 
bless us, we kind of push it off and say, well, there's so many other needy people in the world. Yes, there is. Absolutely. But I'm a child of God. And if God has left me an inheritance and a spiritual anointing, who am I to say to God that I shouldn't have it all? God is unlimited. He was given the spirit without measure. And a lot of people think, well, I can only get this much of the Holy Spirit. Or I can just get this much. But there was different anointings in the book of Acts where they were filled again and again and again. Years later. But yet, we sit in churches that tell us, well, you really can't have that. It's like telling a kid you can't have a lollipop or candy. God is trying to upgrade. You know, when you look on your computer and they say, do you want to upgrade you know, your virus uh, system? It's an upgrade. You want, you want the premium? You want, you want the, the, the 87? Or, or do you want the high test? You know? Do you want a weak cup of coffee? Or would you like a cup of coffee that's got a little bit of kick to it? This is what God's saying. And the church isn't responding because we need men and women like the prophet Jeremiah to speak and to shake up the ground. In order to get to this place in Christ, someone must come into our life and help us see the spiritual operation we need to undergo. And part of that process is the following because he spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. And I've taken the specific words. He said that he was called to root out. Listen, that is not a great job for a preacher. That is just not something. It's like taking geometry in high school and you have no clue. It's like going to college and you have to read Shakespeare or some poetry that you have no interest in. Don't like it, don't want to do it. And I don't really think Jeremiah really wanted to do this. I don't really think Moses or Ezekiel or the prophets who knew they were going to get pounded, who knew that some of them will be crucified and cut asunder and killed for speaking the word, put in a dungeon and left for dead. He said, I'm calling you, Jeremiah, to root out. And that means to pull up, to expel to pluck up. This is where the spiritual operation begins. In Jeremiah 18 and 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. What's God saying to the prophet? He was saying this. I'm going to mold you and I'm going to shape it into a beautiful vase. And then I'm going to cause that vase to crash to the ground and break into a million pieces. And then I'm going to scoop up with a spiritual dustpan and a spiritual brush. I'm going to pick up all those pieces again. And I'm going to put you back on the potter's wheel, Jeremiah. And I'm going to do this over and over and over. Until I can get you to the place where you can speak the word of God 
So people cannot indict you and say, well, you haven't gone through this and you haven't been broken and you haven't been judged by God in the potter's house. Jeremiah, there'll be no excuse when you go out to the people and you start to root out. Hmm. This is, wow. I don't want to do this. To root out and to pull down. To pull down means to break down and to break off. It means to cast down and throw down, to beat down, to destroy and overcome. It means to break out teeth. It's like an extraction of a tooth. It doesn't want to come easy sometimes. And God has given Jeremiah this job and this position and this authority. And people will say, well, who are you? You're just like us. Absolutely. Well, look at the resume of the speaker sometimes. Look at the journey of the speaker sometimes. Don't forget the resume in a preacher's life. Because you just don't arrive and sit behind a pulpit and speak the word of God. There's a lot of moments where your vase was broken. There's a lot of moments when your life was turned upside down. There was a lot of moments when you couldn't rub two nickels together. There was a lot of moments of depression and despair. There was a lot of moments of isolation and abandonment and a rejection. You don't just arrive one day and decide, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, I'm a prophet, I'm an evangelist, I'm a teacher, I'm an apostle. It's a process. And it takes years and years of brokenness and a broken heart and a broken spirit. It's really ludicrous when I see people read one book listen to a tape, and think they're prophets. I said, who are you? Let me see your resume. Let me see your scars. Let me see some of the deaths that you've been through. Listen, this is a process of continually going down to the potter's house and allowing yourself to be pricked, to be scarred, to be hurt, to be left for dead. And sometimes, as David Wilkerson used to preach to his pastors, to go through the Garden of Gethsemane experience where nobody stands with you and nobody understands you of what you're going through in that garden. Look at the resume of people that speak the word. To root out and to pull down 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen, Lucifer was a created being, a beautiful angel, the worship leader. But yet one day he decided... I want my boss's job. One day he decided that he could do better than God who created him. Just think of that lunacy in the thought process of thinking, I can do better than the person who created me, who's God. This is what we're coming against. This is what we will come against in the last day. This is not going to be a picnic. This is not going to be a pony ride at the county fair. This is going to be an excursion. And we have to allow God to prepare us. 
We can look at our neighbor and say, well, you need this or you need that. But we'll see later that we have to examine ourselves. We have a lot of opinions and a lot of assumptions and a lot of suppositions and a lot of presumptions about other people. But until you allow yourself to go down to the potter's house and you allow your beautiful vase to be smashed to the ground and then remade again by God numerous times, your spiritual resume could be a little bit weak. Amen? It says to root out, to pull down, and to destroy. To destroy means to surely and utterly break. It means to flee, to vanish, to die, to be exterminated, to cause to perish, to blot out, to do away with. God is so strong in telling Jeremiah that much spiritual destruction must take place before a finished product can be produced and presented for use by God. How many people are lining up to suffer? How many people are lining up to deny themselves and say, God, I'm willing in the last day to be part of a remnant church that's willing to sacrifice whatever to do the work of God? We must allow every false way to die from our lives and allow God to have his way in our lives so that anything that is sin, idolatry, or bondage can be broken. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I was reading that book that we're studying, Reality. And this morning I was doing a little devotion and it came to the place in the first chapter about killing the pig. When they killed the lamb... The lamb was very cooperative. But it took four people to hold down the pig. Because he said the pig is greedy. The pig is selfish. The pig wants what it wants. And it squeals. And when they put the knife to the pig, it didn't die quickly like the lamb. It took quite a while for the pig to die. And the author said, we're the pig. And it takes some of us a long time to die spiritually out to God. Because we squeal. And one woman said, it's not fair. And God hit her like a ton of bricks and said, was it fair when they did that to Jesus on the cross? You're talking about a pig that it's not fair. But what it wasn't fair when they did to him on the cross. And her whole life changed. Her whole spiritual mindset changed. Because she realized Jesus didn't squeal. He was the Lamb of God that came into the world to die for me and for you. We're the pig, so to speak. And we squeal. You can even hear kids say, it's not fair. It's not fair. What's not fair? That someone has a toy that you don't have? What's not fair? That someone has a piece of candy that you don't have? What's not fair? What's not fair? Life isn't fair, people say. Life isn't fair. What does it mean to be fair? We're all doled out from beginning to end by God. The experiences that we're going to experience. And what we do with those experiences is very important on how we grow and how we survive in the last day. 
the Bible says, and to throw down. Throw down. It means to tear down, to break down, to overthrow, to beat down, pluck down, pull down. It means to destroy. To me, this implies that the above, to root out and to pull down and to destroy, was not going to be enough to rid God's people of the sin and attachment to the world. This phrase, and to throw down, is further evidence that we hold on tight to those things that God is trying to separate us from. In order to throw down something, it's got to be in your hand. And we hold on so tight to certain things that we refuse to throw down. This is why God was instructing Jeremiah in this course. This is a, a pattern for us today. This is a pattern that God is saying in our lives is to root out, to pull down, to destroy. And then he says, and to throw down. Man, you think it would all be done in those first three phases. But you know, we hold on to stuff. And we hold on to it like a treasure. We hold on to it like an idol. We hold on to it like it's some trophy that we have picked up somewhere in a sporting event. And God has said, to throw down is further evidence that we hold on tight to those things that God's trying to separate us from. Look at the fierceness of the meanings. And you will see the intensity of this battle and the reality of the war in our souls. You know the war that's in your soul. You talk to the guy up in the attic every day. You have controversy. You ask a lot of questions that you don't have answers to. And God is trying to speak to us and say, I want to do a work in your life. Not to punish you, not to hurt you, not to get you to go away from me, but to bring you toward me. The following questions must be asked if the spiritual operation is going to be successful. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. But let a man examine himself, not your neighbor. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, and prove your own selves. Some people say, I don't have to prove nothing. That's not always quite true. Sometimes we do have to prove our faith to God. And God says, take care of your own backyard. Take care of your business. Because if you're going to go help other people to root out and to pull down and to throw down and do all these things to overcome, you have to be in a position where you've experienced that so you can help others out of their rut. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. What is it that needs to be destroyed in your life? What in your life needs to be surely and utterly broken? What do you need to escape from? What do you need to flee? What needs to be made void in your life? What needs to vanish and die in your life? What needs to be exterminated completely in your life? What is it that needs to perish in your life? What is it in your life that you would like to give up, blout out, and do away with? These are questions that are hard for it. These are questions that you think about. These are questions that you pray about. And for the most part, I think a lot of people know the answer to the questions. But I think we avoid the answer by medicating ourselves, by escaping, and trying to gain the pleasure of the world. Listen, there's a world out there 
It's a social world. And it's so easy to get caught up in that social world. It's so easy to be maneuvered and manipulated into doing what the world is doing. It's very difficult at times as a Christian. It's very difficult to say no. Like when Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph to lie with her, he refused. I'm pretty sure she was a beautiful woman. I'm pretty sure she was the Bathsheba that caused David to cross the line. When he looked upon the rooftop, I wanted to know, who is that woman? And he crossed the line. But Joseph refused. And we must instill in our homes and in our families to refuse the temptations. Because those are the kingdoms and those are the nations, so to speak. And the powers and the principalities and the rulers and the spiritual darkness that's coming against us. And when you look in the social world that most of us used to be in, you know how easy it is to end up somewhere when you wake up the next morning, say, how did that happen? It takes a strong person to stand back and say, can't do that. It doesn't mean that we preach at people. It doesn't mean that we condemn them and judge them for what they were doing that we used to do. But there does come mystical moments when there is an opportunity to speak into someone's spirit, to be at the right place at the right time, to say a word, to help them understand that perhaps something needs to be rooted out, that sometimes something needs to be pulled down, that something needs to be overthrown. And maybe what's in their hand needs to be thrown down by the power and the presence of Almighty God. Those are mystical, beautiful moments that God gives each and every one of us to speak up to our faith, to be part of the remnant that's willing, like Jeremiah, to say, Thus saith the Lord. I have found... For the most part, if you live consistently for God, and none of us walk on water, that at the end of the day, at the end of the week, and at the end of the year, people see your consistency, and they respect you. I was going through my folders in one of my cabinets the other day, and... I came across a few letters that I had to write during my tenure in the prison. And some I had to write real early of things that happened. And I came across a couple of letters that I had to write to the superintendent. And I reread those letters. And I said, God, you have guts. You have courage. And you allowed me 
I wouldn't use the word to withstand an executive. Most people would just lay down and say nothing. Most people would just go away and put it under the rug. But I want to be a man of God. I want to be a Jeremiah. And it will cost. And I read some of those letters through the years. And I said, how did I get away with that? How did I actually get away with that? But God said, write them. I wrote one letter early in my career and left it on a Saturday. And on that Monday, I got a personal phone call from the superintendent. He said, Reverend, I'm sorry. I didn't stand for you. Sorry for the embarrassment. I'm sorry that you had to relive your childhood of being made fun of in an executive meeting when all of your peers from the entire prison was representing their department. I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. I said, thank you, sir. I had to say my piece. Because you know what I was worried about? The next person that would come to such a meeting and be embarrassed and maybe trigger some childhood memory that could trigger someone. So I have to think about the person that comes after me. So most people would say, hey man, you want to jeopardize your job? Listen, I'm called by God. Where God put me, he'll provide for me. If we don't speak up and stand for something, we'll fall for everything. That's why the prophets are so important. That's why the last day church is so important. To stand up and be a man. And be a man's man. And be a woman of God. It's going to cost. And not a whole lot of people are willing to pay the price, as we said in the old church, to do the work of God. The spiritual operation is never complete unless we undergo healing with the intent to restore and build for the future. Someone recovering from physical and medical surgery needs to heal, but it isn't too long before the patient is told to get up and begin the process of restoration that strength and health might appear, reappear in their life. I remember when I had my car accident many years ago. And I went down to the physical therapy in Auburn. And they put me on this machine that I had to turn with both arms. And I said to myself, wow, this is more painful than the accident. This is really painful. Or when you hurt your knee, they don't tell you to go home and just sit. You get on a bike and you say, are you serious? No, you're going to work it. When you hurt your ankle, you go to the physical therapist and he says, guess what? Get up. Do something. See, we can sit there and we can stew and we can pity. And we can accept the nations and the kingdoms that come against us to defeat us. But we can rise up in the name of Jesus and say, I will be restored. I will be healed. I will be repaired in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're raising a soft generation. 
who obviously can't take the blows of life because we've given them everything. You know, not everybody made the baseball team. Not everybody got a trophy. And when I went to school and you failed, they put it in red so your parents could see it distinctly on your report card. There was no hiding. We didn't get no participation trophies from our parents when we messed up. You got it from your mother, you got it from your father, and you got it from your older brother. How many people are going to give it to me? Hmm. You know what I'm talking about. We're raising such a generation today that we have to cater. We have to give. So many of them don't even believe in God. They're messed up. I don't know whose fault it is. There's a lot of broken homes, a lot of dysfunctional families, a lot of divorce. I understand all that. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The book is still relevant. People tell me you can't live for God. I believe we can. I believe we can. We give great adage to people who were so engrossed in sin. And, and I thank God for the, for the bikers and the drug addicts and the alcoholics that, that, that came to Christ and, and they have a wonderful testimony. What about the boys and girls that accept Jesus at a young age? What about the boys and girls that accept Jesus in, in their Sunday school, in their Bible school, and they grow up, praise God, hallelujah, not going out to the world and greeting the world, but growing up in the house of God and saying, I'm a Christian, and my dad's a Christian, and my mom's a Christian, and my grandparents are Christians, and I'm going to follow in their footsteps, and I will not fall to the temptations of this world, but I will serve God like a Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who says we can't raise Timothys in the day that we're living? We can. We we can. We can. To build. Look what it means. It means to build. And I, I put this in on purpose because this was in the, in the Hebrew. Build up. Look what it says. Built again plus repair. Set up. Have children plus obtain children. Rebuild. Establish. And meant restored exiles mean made permanent. To cause to continue, to build a house, to establish a family, a church. This is God's will for us to build. To build our family, to build our posterity, so that not one is lost. And sometimes we have to ask people in our family hard questions. It's not always easy. Sometimes I heard a pastor on a previous tape by H.B. London who passed away, a great man of God and this pastor's daughter for six years six years embarrassed her father and her mother and this pastor, the patience and the love, he says listen, I didn't always do everything right he says one day my daughter came into church with combat boots and the darkest black makeup that you could find. I'm the pastor of the church. And here's my daughter walking in with combat boots, rebellious and stubborn. She'd go out the window at night. And so he decided, well, I'll get her. I'll go down to the hardware store and get four inch screws and I'll screw that window shut so she can't get out. Oh. 
They had an alarm system in that house. And she was so smart, she knew how to dismantle the alarm system to go down into the basement and go out the window of the basement. And someone called the pastor's home at night and said, is your daughter home? And he said, of course. And her door was locked. And he said, I had one of those L keys, you know, where you can get into a door. And I opened her door and she was gone. How did she get out? She got out because she wanted out. But one day, Dad said, we didn't have laptops in those days. I was down and looking at the monitor for my computer. And he says, I was just crying. You know, sometimes you cry for your children. Sometimes you cry for your posterity that people don't even know the tears that you've cried. And he broke. He broke. And she just happened to come down the stairs in the basement. And she stood behind her dad and saw that he was crying. She put her arms around his neck, head to head, and said, Dad, I love you. And he said, Honey, I love you. And she left. Tears in her eyes and tears in his. H.P. London said, Pastor, did it end then? No, he said, no. It took time. But today, she has a women's ministry. She has a ministry to young girls. She has a ministry to help others that are in the place where she was, rebellious and stubborn, before God and before her dad and mom. We can build. We can rebuild. If we want to. It's a choice. It's an opportunity. It's a call. He says to build and to plant. If we're going to be used in the ministry of restoration in the lives of others. And this is what this is about. God getting a hold of us. And doing something in our life. We must first be restored ourselves and be made whole by the power and the love of Jesus. And you can only bring someone, this is important, to the spiritual level where you are living. You can only bring someone to the spiritual level where you are living. You'll never bring that person any further. If we are not courageous to allow God to perform a spiritual operation on us, how can we challenge and inspire others to submit to a spiritual operation by God in their lives? How can we tell people how to live when we don't allow God to deal with us? This is not a reproof. This is not a rebuke. This is a learning experience that Jeremiah gave us a pattern. And he said, this is the pattern that God gave me. This is the pattern for every Christian. This is the pattern for every church, for every home. We must get rid of the leaven. We must allow God to rebuild our homes and our families. And there's no one and nothing that's impossible with God. We had a prayer meeting here the other night for an hour and a half. And God spoke and what did he say? He said, be absurd in your prayers. He called us on our unbelief. He called us on our fear. He called us. 
And he said, be absurd with your prayers. What does that mean? Start praying outside the box. Why are you limiting me? I'm God. I created all this. We limit God because we use our finite mind. That's like a pea. Like it's a little bean. And we bypass the voice that speaks to us to do the things that God is calling us to do. Rooting out, tearing down, and throwing away leads to spiritual organization and repair. Follow me for a few more moments. In order to have healing and restoration for our body, soul, and spirit, there must first come an organization which will not become a reality until there is a rooting out and a tearing down first. When we clean out our spiritual desktop, we first throw away items in the trash can. This is the rooting out and the tearing down. Then when we strike the refresh button, everything that's left on the desktop is cleaned up and organized. This is what the Lord is doing in the body of Christ in order that a remnant can be born and not be taken captive by the enemy. Because that's the risk. If we don't allow God to work in our lives, we risk the possibility of being taken captive by the enemy. God warned the children in the Old Testament, don't go there. You're going to end up in Babylon. You're going to hang up your harps on the willow tree. They're going to make fun of your songs. Oh, no, no. Oh, don't believe the prophets. Don't believe the preachers. Don't believe the pastors. Don't believe the teachers. They're just saying words to you. No. God has given direction to the church in the last day. In 1 Kings 18 and 38, until Elijah obeyed God in organizing the altar to prove that he was God, 1 Kings 18 and 30, and Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And what does it mean to repair? To be to heal by God, to make healthful, to cure, physician of men. We are to become through Christ spiritual healers and spiritual physicians, helping others to obtain healing for body, soul, and spirit. Hurts of nations involving restored favor, of individual distresses, of national defects or hurts, or of personal distress. Look at the hatred and the bitterness in America. We have something to say about it. We can tell people what they need in Christ. We can speak to people individually. We have the miracle of electronics that we could put things upon the internet to help bring people together and not scatter. Listen, we're doing one or two things in God's kingdom. Either we're gathering or we're scattering. I said we're doing one or two things. Either we're gathering or we're scattering. Either we're having unity or there's division. God could not do a miracle in the days of Elijah until the altar was repaired. And God cannot do a miracle in our homes until we repair the altar of God. 1 Kings 18, 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And what is Israel? That's the name that God gave to Jacob. Because he said, Jacob, I wrestled with you all night. And I gave you the blessing. But I changed your name. He turned to 
Jacob and he says, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. He says, you got it all wrong, son. I've changed your name to Israel. You have power with God and power with man. You prevail with God and you'll prevail with man. I'm changing your operating image. And this is exactly what God wants to do with us in the last day. Change our operating image. Walk into a room and say, I'm the man in Christ. Hmm. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Interesting. Didn't say Jacob. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Elijah said, Lord, I'm going to obey you. This is crazy. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Look at all the water that was in that altar area. Fill it up three times, and then some more. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and looked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. It was the God of Elijah. Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Formerly, Jacob. The question has to be asked, when did the fire fall? Only after Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken and meticulously organized the altar the way God wanted it done. Listen, I want to tell you something. If there's anything that I've learned in all the years that I've known God, God is an exact God and he wants it done his way. We deviate from his word. We're talking ex cathedra outside the word of God. And a lot of people are doing that. They're saying there is no hell. They're saying there is no God. Christians who once served God are now atheists. Because they didn't believe the word. It's not changed. Sin is still sin. Righteousness is still righteousness. The blood of Jesus still prevails. Jesus still says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Jesus. There's nothing going to change. God is an exact God. And only until we do the things His way will we see the fire fall. If we think we can compromise and skirt around and get the fire of God in our lives and in our homes, we're sadly mistaken. We have to follow the pattern that God gave to Jeremiah. Individually, family, church, nation. And without the pattern being followed, 
Everything is just being propped up. I said everything is just being propped up. Eventually, if we don't have an awakening, it doesn't matter who sits behind the desk in the White House. If we don't have an awakening, we're going to perish. They didn't believe the men and women of God in the Old Testaments. Closing for this moment, and we'll pick up about Nehemiah next week. Isaiah 55 and 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 16, In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, and His statutes, and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. God is speaking to the church in America. God is speaking to pastors all across the land. He's speaking to our young people. He wants to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down. But on the flip side of that, he wants to build, rebuild, and plant. And bring us forth as a people. Sometimes we have to allow things to die in our life. Except the corner we fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. Sometimes our dreams, our hopes, and I'm not saying they aren't God's dreams and hopes, but when we go in our own strength, in our own wisdom, our own manipulative mind, to try to make things happen, we're not really resting in His Spirit and allowing God to work in our lives. There's a lot of people out there that need help. There's a lot of folks out there that are wandering in the wilderness. And I have to believe in my heart that a lot of those people are waiting for someone to come into their life and speak a word to them. Because they know you and they respect you and they know what you stand for. And those are the people that will contact you and say, I'm messed up. But I know who you are. And I know who you know. Can we talk? This is happening. I said this is happening. Outside the church. Where people know your reputation in Christ. Know your stand for Jesus of no compromise and some will look toward you and say I'm really messed up need your help are you willing and how can you say no to that God wants us to be the Jeremiah's God wants us to be the Elijah's the Apostle Paul's the Timothys.
And until we allow God to change our mindset of who we are and how he sees us. And in the days to come, God has already given me some sermons. Already helped me to prepare ahead about your authority. Of where you sit in God's kingdom. It's amazing. That God, I watch him in my life, how he says, this is what's going to be in the next little while. This is the foundation you're going to build in me. And I already have it down the road. I say, well, thank you, Lord. Because I have the time and the mindset of not having to get up every day and go to a prison and be encumbered with all those tensions and stress. But I have some more freedom now to think and to pray and to study and to hear his voice. That's the most important thing in my life is to hear the voice of God. As I say, you can take everything away from a preacher. You can take everything away. But don't take away the anointing of God because that's the sustenance of a man or woman of God. We are and will be part of the remnant church if we choose to allow God to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. And thank you for listening.